Thanks for checking out our weekly Sunday message from Carrollton UMC. We pray that God will use this to speak to you and help you grow in faith. We invite you to join us this Sunday at our 10.30 a.m. one-hour service, in person at our location in Uptown New Orleans, or live online on our YouTube channel or Facebook page. To learn more about Carrollton, please visit us at carrolltonumc.com. We hope you enjoy this message. Our scripture this morning comes from the Gospel of John. It is John chapter 14, verse 12. Not a long one, so pay attention. You know, when Andrew was up here, right before one of the verses, he said, everyone and everyone sang. And I like that, and I I wish I could do that for other things around here, like uh, we need such and such done. Everyone, but uh, that was good. So everyone, hear this now from John chapter 14, verse 12. Jesus speaking. He says, very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do, the, they will do even greater things than these, because I am going to the Father. The word of God for us, the people of God, let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable to you in all ways, for you are our rock and our ever-present Redeemer. Amen. So, yesterday, I took a whole group of people from my neighborhood to the baseball game out of the lakefront at Privateer Park to see the University of New Orleans play. Now, if you were thinking to yourself, where is my invitation? That's good. I want you to keep thinking that way. So the whole idea for the event started the week prior. Two of the people who attended yesterday had gone to the game with us the week before on Sunday, And I had invited them because I knew that they were really dialed in sports fans, but they hadn't been to a UNO game. And you may recall that the Sunday weather last week was spectacular, gorgeous. And the team played well, and we had a great time. So having essentially planted those seeds with those two individuals, Sunday evening, when we got back from the game, we had a gathering of other people from the neighborhood. And we began to talk up the games out of the ballpark. And my friends who had attended the games were able to participate in that discussion because they'd had a good time. And I suggested we should all go to the game next Saturday, which was yesterday, right? And uh, people chimed in and said, well, we're interested, uh, noting that, okay, that if you live in New Orleans, even if you went to someplace other than UNO for undergraduate, you probably attended UNO at some point, like for summer classes, or you got a master's degree there, or your family members are attended there, or you work there or something, but you have some connection to the university. It's, it's, it's almost universal. So people said they were interested in going, and that's where we left it that evening, but we didn't leave it there for long, because early in the week, I contacted the folks at the ballpark, and I made arrangements for really good tickets. Now, Fortunately for college baseball, even the best tickets are not particularly expensive. We even got VIP parking, and I was able to arrange access to the pregame hospitality tent. So we had free food and beverages. And once I had all that in hand, I reached back out to the group of people that I had invited with the full details for the afternoon. But before I did that, I thought about what to say. I wanted everyone to attend. I didn't want anyone to feel dissuaded from attending based on factors that I hadn't considered. So I made it abundantly clear in my text messages to everybody that not only did we have access to all those amenities I just mentioned, but that the tickets in the entire day 
were on me. Because let's face it, most of those folks have no idea what a baseball ticket costs, and I wanted to make sure that concern about cost was not going to be an impediment to people attending. So other than a couple of folks from that group who are out of town, everyone went yesterday, and the team performed well. Can I just say, did you all see the score? They won 35 to 3. I said, why did they let the other team kick a field goal in the third and fourth inning? I don't know. Uh, But we won the game. Everybody had a great time. And I will tell you that I have a group of true converts now to University of New Orleans baseball. And you say to me, what has that got to do with church? I'll get there. There's a pastor out in California named Erwin McManus. He's the founder of a church called Mosaic. It's actually kind of gone worldwide now, who coincidentally has a philosophy degree for his undergrad, like I got out at UNO. And he said this, I'm paraphrasing a little bit. He says, I want to live in a world that if the church is not the revolution that Jesus died to establish 2,000 years ago, then the church ceases to exist. I want to live in the world where the church has no more crutches or buffers to guard it from injury. He says, wherever the gospel enters an environment, it prevails. In other words, he wants to live in a place where the gospel, because of its strength, the church wins when it announces the gospel. And I totally agree with those sentiments. I want the church to win. And my question to you is, what are we doing about that? Are we into that scripture we read this morning where Jesus tells us, says, I assure you, the one who believes in me will also do the works that I do, and he will do even greater works than these. Because if we were truly tied into that scripture, I tend to believe we would have probably three times as many people sitting out there in the congregation today. And I'll contend to you that my baseball story compares pretty well to the church setting. I mean, we have a quality product here, right? I mean, we have the best band in the land. Amen? Amen? At least the preacher doesn't preach too long. Hmm? We have uniformly good weather in the sanctuary. Look, it's blue skies up there. And we have potential fans, or dare I say potential converts, who are our friends and acquaintances and the whole community, frankly, most of whom, because of simply where we are, have some existing connection to the church, even if that connection hasn't been nurtured in some time. But we don't ask. We don't invite. Or if we invite, we kind of throw the idea out and then we just kind of forget about it and never follow up. What if we were more intentional in the inviting, seriously taking into account the things that stand in between the people we invite and having them actually attend church? What if we invite a couple of really close friends to church to start, like people we know where they're going to come because they're our really close friends, and have them enjoy the service? And then when we expand the invitation to other people, we collectively make sure that everyone understands that the music is great, the message is relevant, and that it's free. I, I don't mean that you have to pay or come in, but seriously, don't you know that people are concerned that when they come to church, it's going to cost them something. It's going to be compounded by some kind of commitment that they don't want to make. And what if you sweetened the deal a little bit? What if you made sure that all the people you invited had transportation to church and you said, we'll all arrive together and we'll all sit together. And maybe you also plan a get-together after church for lunch. And if you think it will make the difference in getting them there and you can swing it, maybe you offer to take care of lunch. 
And then the folks who hear this and hear your other friends who came the week before and say what a great time they had, they say, well, I'd like to be a part of that. That's a lot of planning and execution, but that is what it takes. I mean, if it takes that much engineering to get people to a baseball game, it will likely take that level of effort to get people to church. We spoke last week about having a vision of God's kingdom on earth. And we said, you can't have that vision if you're not tightly aligned with God. You're not tied in or close to God. And while we like that idea of the vision we described earlier from the pastor from California about the church prevailing on earth at every turn, we find that hard to envision because, in fact, we aren't tied into that statement when Jesus said, I assure you the one who believes in me will also do the works that I do, and he will do even greater works than these. We simply don't believe it for ourselves. Deep down inside, we say, ooh, that's, that's kind of a pipe dream. That may become true for a, a couple of people, but that's not what Jesus said. Think about it. If we really tie into that idea that we can do the types of things that Jesus did and even greater things, would we hesitate to embark on a mission to grow this church? I want you to think about two key components of church growth. Number one, Jesus made it our responsibility to make disciples of other people. He could have chosen any number of other ways to do it, but he picked us to, make, to do it, to be his ambassadors. And number two, Jesus left behind one thing and one thing only on this earth, and it's the church. Nowhere in Scripture is there a statement that says that the church is for some people, and then other people can simply ignore it. If you're going to be a Christian, you have to be a part of the church. Now, some of us then say, okay, pastor, look, we get it. But we thought it would be easier than this. We thought we could, like, wave a magic wand or just open the doors, and people would just come on into the church. Now, if I was a jerk, I would say, how's that working for you? But in response, instead, I'll say this. Pay attention. Look at Jesus' ministry. Follow that, and you'll see that the person, Jesus, who certainly had the ability to wave the magic wand, didn't do that, but worked strategically and meticulously throughout his entire ministry to accomplish his mission. He got into the middle of humanity. He did wondrous things. He performed miracles. He walked on water. He raised people from the dead. He did all these things as a display of his power and his authority vested in him by the Holy Spirit and by the will of God. Jesus unleashing the authority and power of God. All things Jesus says that we can do if we believe. If we all have that knowledge of the power of the Holy Spirit within us, and we understand the need to be intentional and strategic, what are we missing? Maybe it's passion for the task. Why would that be? Is it because we lack a sense of the immediacy of what God wants us to do? Is it because we don't realize that bringing people to Jesus is something that simply cannot wait? No, that's not it. Because if we look around even just our immediate community, we can state without fear of contradiction, oh, the immediate need for Jesus is clearly upon us. The passion, though, comes with the faith. Faith that we can do what Jesus said in the Scripture we can do. 
Much in the manner that we always say, look, you really can't have much of a faith in a guy named Jesus Christ if you don't know anything about Jesus, so you better get down to learning about Jesus. It's difficult to have faith in your own abilities to fulfill God's promises and plan for you if you've never engaged previously to do that work, if you've never engaged intentionally and strategically and meticulously. If we are going to have this church be a kingdom-focused church, then we, as a part of the church, must be entirely tuned in to the work of God. We must be doing the works of God, and God must be doing his works through us. You say, well, what is that work? Well, first and foremost, it's this. You and I are here to make disciples of Jesus. Our church is here to make disciples of Jesus. That's the great commission from Jesus. It's no more and no less. It's not easy because it seems to go against our culture today. But as our culture is eroding around us, isn't the current culture the target of our mission? Now, I'm not for one, one for giving homework because growing up through school, even as an adult, I really disliked homework. I didn't even like my kids' homework. But I encourage you, beyond just letting today's message marinate in your brain, to do this. Take some time this week to figure out, hmm, I have all this power that Jesus has declared. Why am I not using it? How can I use it? And begin to map out a strategy for fulfilling the Great Commission, bringing people around you and around the world to Jesus one small strategic step at a time even if it starts as simply by inviting someone to sit next to you in church. Let us pray. Dear God, you bring us power. Help us to recognize it, to grasp it, to use it to your glory, to bring others to Jesus, Lord, to grow this congregation so that it can become such a force in the community that no one says, where is that church, Carrollton and what? But when they hear the name Carrollton United Methodist Church, Lord, they know that's where the power comes from. That's where the work comes from. That's where the faith is. That's where the love is. That's where the inclusion is. Help us to be that church, Lord, today and every day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.